Welcome to Money and Taxes from BB to XYZ. I'm Regina Neenan, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Jason Spessner, Certified Financial Planner and Enrolled Agent. On today's episode, we are getting into the holiday spirit. Tis the season, right? It's time to be generous, right? Lots of gifts. Kids are getting gifts. Everyone's given a little bit of the holiday cheer. But yeah, for the first step of that, we should probably think about some of the planning, especially if we're thinking about monetary gifts. And does the gift you're giving to somebody fit into your budget, fit into your financial plan? And if so, can you make it a win-win for you and the recipient? Yeah, there might be some tax advantages involved when it comes to giving financial gifts. So make sure you fit that into your you know, shopping budget, gift giving budget, all the things we need to be thinking about toward the end of the year here. And make sure you're following the rules so that you can get the maximum benefit out of a financial gift. So if you're thinking about giving this year, here are some things you might want to consider. Yeah, rule following. That's, you know, I think something that's really important, I like to be a good rule follower myself, but let's break down a few kind of generational opportunities here. And let's start with our baby boomers and talk about something called qualified charitable distributions from your IRA. And so a qualified charitable distribution is like the name implies a gift to charity, of course. And what it allows you to do is make that gift directly from your IRA account and have that gift not be included in taxable income. And so you might be thinking, well, okay, if I'm going to make that gift to a charity, can I just take a tax deduction for, you know, just writing a check to my church or any charity I'd like to? And and yes, you can. But in order to make use of that, you have to be able to itemize your deductions. Well, when you make a qualified charitable distribution from your IRA, that is not something that needs to be included in itemized deductions. It comes right off the top of that gross distribution from the account. So you're actually going to have a lower taxable amount when you report your IRA distributions for the year. Okay, so a win-win. And speaking of rules, there's a big rule in here as far as the age at which you can begin to make these qualified charitable distributions or QCDs. No matter what age you start your RMDs or required minimum distributions from this account at, you have to be at least 70 and a half to make your QCD, your qualified charitable distribution, right? Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the interesting caveats or things, I guess, going on here was that Secure Act and Secure Act 2.0 changed the required beginning date for lots and lots of people. And it moved to 72 to 73 and 75 eventually for some. But the qualified charitable distribution age did not move. And so if you are 70 and a half and you have an IRA account of any type, now what's really key about this is a traditional IRA is one type, but also an inherited traditional IRA also counts as a vehicle that you can make qualified charitable distributions from. As long as you're 70 and a half, you're able to make these distributions and you might ask yourself, well, why, why would I do that, right? Like, why would I want to make a qualified charitable distribution if I'm already itemizing deductions or like, you know, why do I want to spend down my IRA now? Well, remember, everything that comes out of your IRA will eventually reduce that base at which your required minimum distributions are calculated on. So you can shrink that amount of kind of forced distribution that comes up in the future and consequently lower your lifetime tax bill. And so for our baby boomers who, you know, aren't turning 70 and a half this year, also for our Gen Xers, a big thing for them at this time of year when they're thinking about doing these financial gifts is giving money to other people. So Jason, why don't you remind us what amount they can give this year without having to file a gift tax return and intricacies that go along with that? 
Totally. And, and I think like this is one of the more misunderstood things about giving cash gifts is there is always this idea that there's a certain amount of money that you can give to people without it becoming like a tax situation. And that's true. But the tax situation, I'm using my air quotes, is vastly different than most people imagine. Currently in 2023, you're able to give up to $17,000 of cash or property to anyone without having to file a gift tax return. That actually is going to go up to 18000 in 2024. But what's key about this is we're talking about filing a gift tax return, not necessarily paying any tax on that gift. And that's important. So one important thing here that I always like to remind myself of is that an individual person can give as many of these gifts as they want below that $17,000 amount and not have anything to do with filing a gift tax return. Like you can give seventeen dollars to your neighbor, your brother, your sister, this other person down the street. I don't know, somebody else that you know. As many of those gifts as you want. There's no limit. But when you are married... Now we're getting back into some taxes because married couples are, you know, a single economic unit. But a married couple, each spouse can give that gift to the same person. So all of a sudden, now you're looking at gifts of 32K. No, 34K. Half from one spouse, half from the other spouse. That's a massive gift. Yeah. And depending on the type of gift, you may have to do something called consenting to gift splitting between spouses, but you can usually get away with doing just like an individual gift from each spouse to the same person. Now, if I had neighbors like yours giving me $17,000 gifts, you know, that would be, that would be exciting. I think I want to move in on Regina's block with those neighbors, but no, it's, it's, it truly is a sort of unlimited amount of gifts that you're able to give. And those are never right. Here's the other key thing. Gifts are never taxable to the recipient. I don't care if it's income tax, if it's some sort of transfer, never. It's only the giver, right, that would ever be on the hook for any sort of transfer tax, which is either gift or estate tax. Now, this limit comes into play to create a filing requirement for you. So let's say you give your neighbor, Regina's neighbor, you know, gives gives Regina $20,000. And now Regina's neighbor has to file this gift tax return. Well, guess what? The lifetime exemption amount, this is the second part of this, for every individual currently is $12.9 million. And what that means is you can give or transfer property during your lifetime or at your death valued up to $12.9 million and never have to pay a transfer tax on that. So the neighbor has to file the tax return, but has not used up that lifetime exemption amount. Well, all of a sudden that tax return is just an information filing. There is no tax paid. Some of that lifetime exemption is used, but no tax is owed by the payer or the gift giver in this case. Now that exemption actually in 2024 is going to go up to $13.6 million. And just like the annual exclusion amount, it's also doubled up for spouses. So you can imagine if you're a married couple, you have up to $27 million that you can transfer during your lifetime and at death without having to pay any sort of transfer tax. And of course, like I said, the recipient never pays income or other any other kind of tax when receiving a gift. So I just have my $20,000 here from my neighbor, lucky me. What if I want to turn around and uh, give that to someone else, but I want to avoid having to file that gift tax return for giving that gift of more than seventeen k to an individual? What if I uh, took advantage of a little loophole? What if I have a friend who's going to college and I wanted to pay that college $20,000, you know, pass it on, share my gift. Or, you know, I have somebody who is in need of some medical treatments. I can give that directly to the hospital rather than to a person, give to an institution. Jason, what is my tax ramification there? 
Totally. Like you happen to know the two very sort of specific exclusions to having to file a gift tax return is if you pay a higher education institution or a medical provider directly for somebody else's care, you don't have to file a gift tax return and you can be over that annual exclusion amount when doing that. So there is another way to sort of avoid having the filing requirement or the burden to have to deal with the gift tax system, so to speak, in filing that gift tax return. So yeah, let's say I got that, that, you know, 20K. I don't know if I'd want to be that generous, but hey. <laughs> well, now you just got 20K from a very generous neighbor, Regina. Like, you, I know. Sure, you don't want to pay this forward. The holiday spirit only goes so far, Jason. So let's move into our generation here, our millennials, Gen Y. I noticed that you have something that you bring up with folks in our generation quite a bit when you're doing year-end tax planning consultations with them. And if they are feeling very philanthropic, those can include a DAF or a donor-advised fund, but something else. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things here, right? The donor advised fund is one. The other is something called a split interest entity or sometimes referred to as like a charitable remainder trust, right? A certain type of vehicle where effectively you make a gift to it, you or a family member benefits from income from this vehicle. And then eventually, right, when you pass away or when the beneficiaries pass away, whatever's left in that in that account or that trust is then given to charity. And what happens is you actually calculate a present value of that gift, right, of that eventual gift to charity. And you're able to rely on that calculation to take a current year tax deduction for funding it. So it's sort of this neat little idea where you end up fulfilling an income need that you or a family member has, also fulfill a philanthropic need, and get a nice tax break right on the on the front end of it. And you know, the donor advice fund is a quite a bit different. You don't get income from it. Instead, you make a contribution to this donor advised fund. You are the donor doing the advising and you get a tax deduction for that. And then over time, you can decide, hey, I'd like to make a gift from my donor advised fund to this charity, some to this other charity, some to another. And you can kind of split it off later on. But if you make the contribution to it this year, you get the tax deduction for this year, not in the year in which you forward on the gifts, right? pay it forward to the charity or, or make your eventual grant right from the donor advised fund. Absolutely. And right, where do these come into play? Like, where are these useful? Those high income years, those years where all of a sudden maybe you, you sold a investment for a nice gain, or maybe you had a nice bonus, or you just had more income than you were expecting. And you circumstantially would plan to give some of this money away in time. Maybe you would make your, your annual contributions to, to the Red Cross or whatever it is. You accelerate that into the year that you have the high income get the tax deduction now, and then make those grants out of your donor advised fund in the future in the years that you would normally make contributions. That's awesome. Total win-win. What about millennials, Gen Zers, really anyone in any generation who's making, you know, some of these smaller charitable gifts? Maybe they are, you know, giving a few dollars a month to NPR or to their local PBS station. Maybe they're just giving it to their food bank or another charity that they really believe in. What are their tax benefits? Well, and think about this, like even relatively large gifts, like let's say somebody is giving, you know, $5,000 a year away to charity, but just can't itemize their deductions. Now, so if you think about this, if you're not itemizing your deductions, you're not making qualified charitable distributions from an IRA, you're sort of in this limbo phase where a couple of things are happening. One, you're getting a standard deduction. Now, a few years ago, there was during COVID time, right? There was this additional deduction for charity that you could claim what we call above the line or basically 
basically before you have to deal with itemizing deductions. Well, that doesn't exist anymore. So now with a standard deduction, I always like to point out like that's good news in a sense, right? Because you are actually getting a deduction that is larger than the money that has flowed out from your your accounts, right? You you're actually getting a deduction that's more than you've paid. But at the same time, doesn't necessarily feel as good to know that you've gotten sort of this dollar for dollar recapture on on a tax deduction. However, some states like Colorado, for example, will allow you a charitable deduction at the state level. So if you take a standard deduction, Colorado, and you give more than $500, you're able to claim a deduction for that amount in excess of 500 bucks on your state tax return. So in Colorado, that's roughly a four to 5% win. But still, a win is a win, and I'll take 4 to 5% on, again, could be a relatively large amount that you just weren't able to sneak onto your federal tax return. And even if you are just making that donation to, say, your local animal shelter or something along those lines, you have to keep in mind that, you know, you're giving the gift, you're going to feel good about it, and that charity is really going to be able to make use of it. So even if you're not into, you know, tax benefit territory, there are still some definite benefits associated with gift that you're giving. Of course, right? Somebody or something or some entity is going to win when you make that. And that's the ultimate reason why when you're talking about charitable giving, that's that's what you're doing. You're supporting a cause for sure. So let's go to today's takeaways. First one for me is taxable gift doesn't necessarily mean that you're paying a tax bill, but it may mean that you have to file a gift tax return and use some of that lifetime exemption. And giving to a cause can be done in many different ways. Some of them can even give you some additional tax benefits. And of course, follow the rules. Be a rule follower. Do the right thing so that you can actually capture these benefits and make sure that they stand up under, you know, an audit or something like that. You just had to remind us of that, didn't you, Jason? Oh, sorry. Well, if you have an idea for a future episode, or if you'd like to share a little feedback on today's episode, maybe share a little bit about some of the gifts that you have made in the past or that you're thinking of doing this year, reach out to us. Email moneyandtaxes at podcast at fpfoco.com. We'll consider it your holiday gift to us, but hey, it won't be tax deductible. Sorry. You'll also find that email in the show notes. This episode was written and produced by me, Jason Spessner. And me, Regina Neenan. I also edited the episode. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Jason Spessner and Regina Neenan are investment advisor representatives of Financial Planning Fort Collins, a registered investment advisor. The information in this podcast is provided for general educational and entertainment purposes only. It may not apply to you or your specific circumstances and should not be considered financial, investment, or tax advice. 